0: Our scripture reading for the sermon this morning is from Hebrews chapter 4, two short verses, 3, uh, beginning with verse 9. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, would you open our eyes to see the truth of the glory of the gospel would you help us to see things that our minds cannot grasp until you do open our eyes we pray and feed us in christ's name we pray amen Uh, well good morning to you Uh, full house uh, delighted to see you here and in the aisles Uh, great to have you with us this morning um, I, uh, I think there was about a five-year window, I think it was between undergraduate school and seminary or grad school for me, when it dawned on me that I got to choose the books I would read. Now, they weren't assigned anymore. Um, I've always been a reader, and most of the time I've had books assigned to me, or I'm reading, even these days, I'm reading for something or in preparation for something quite, quite often. But there were five years where I selected uh, whatever I read. Uh, One of the books that was recommended to me uh, that I read that I saved because I wanted to reread it was a biography of Winston Churchill. Uh, He's still the iconic figure that he was then. And it was captured, I think it was by William Manchester, the the biography I read. And I'm going to pick that one up again here one day. But I was reminded of it as I read another book um, in preparation for this today. So, uh, but here's what I was reminded of. Winston Churchill knew how to work well. <laughs> maybe that's an understatement. Uh, he was one of the most productive workers in history, a war correspondent, served in four wars, fought in four wars. He led Britain through World War II, maybe the greatest war. He served in parliament for 63 years in various political and cabinet positions, 10 years, as you may recall, as prime minister of Great Britain. He was a powerful orator, historian. He wrote over 56 books and hundreds of articles, and with his wife of 55 years, somehow raised four children. He didn't crack. He didn't under the strain. He didn't explode or implode and and how did he do that well he would have told us today that one of the reasons that he made that possible was that he knew how to rest well winston churchill painted He said uh, and asked about it, he wrote about it actually in a book entitled Painting as a Pastime. Painting is complete as a distraction. I know of nothing which without exhausting the body more entirely absorbs the mind. Whatever the worries of the hour or threats of the future, once the picture has begun to flow along, there is no room for them in the mental screen. (laughs) They pass into the shadows and darkness All one's mental light, such as it is, becomes concentrated on the task. Winston Churchill knew how to rest. Now, it's not likely that uh, any of us will approach Churchill's accomplishments view, if any have. The closest, though, many of us come to it is busyness. He was productive, we're busy. Uh, We do busy well. We do restlessness well. I'm one of the most restless people I know. And Mary Lynn will tell you that. Tim Crider <coughs> uh, wrote in an article in the New York Times, uh, an article entitled The Busy Trap, said, busyness serves as a kind of hedge against emptiness, Obviously, your life cannot be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. I find myself in that picture, or have over the years. Uh, that article was cited in another book I read in preparation for this uh, by Kevin DeYoung entitled Crazy Busy, where he ends talk, talks about what it's like for Christians. Because what? Crider says is true of all of us. Now he's talking to those of us who are following Christ. He said busy does not mean that you're a faithful or fruitful Christian. It only means you're busy just like everyone else. And like everyone else, your joy, your heart, and your soul are in danger. And then he goes on to point us in a good and helpful direction when he says we need the word of God to set us free we need biblical wisdom to set us straight what we need is the great physician who will heal our overscheduled souls is there a better way to order life than the way we default Uh, yes there is what I want to try to do in these moments today is to try to persuade you, and me, to rest more. How's that for a New Year's resolution? You like that one? Well, before you jump to so many conclusions, uh, I'm not particularly referring to that beach chair and umbrella that may have popped into your mind, or, or even the, the brush and the blank canvas on which to throw a palette full of colors because we're talking this morning about a different kind of rest. It's something greater than leisure. It's the rest for your soul that produces true delight. You see, there's a deep rest that was anticipated on Mount Sinai that was inaugurated by Christ and is now available to you who are weary in need of rest. That's where we're going with this time. This passage before us is a short one, and if you were paying attention, you realized it is just simply the conclusion of a longer passage that we won't have time for this morning. And this, uh, for this morning, we're going to focus on three verses it begins with the word, so then, which is an invitation for you later today to maybe go back and start in chapter 3 of Hebrews. You may want to ponder Psalm 95, which we just heard read. Uh, it, there's, um, it's an easy t- connection to see that what we're doing this morning in, in Hebrews 4 is simply a commentary that Psalm 95 is it, it's an exposition of Psalm 95. So, take a look at that psalm, and then for the pom- moments we have here today, we're going to zero in on three short verses. The context, the background is this, that psalm, 95, is, points back to the wilderness wanderings. Um... Following Sinai, there was this moment on top of a mountain where God breaks in and declares himself and lays out a way of a way to go forward for the people of God. And then Joshua leads the people through the wilderness, you know, up to the edge of the promised land, um, into the promised land, Joshua does. As he's leading people into the promised land, there's a promised rest, according to this psalm and according to this passage, that Joshua did not provide. There was a promised rest that was always out in front. It was around the corner. They were were battling. They were occupying. There There was a promised rest that they did not reach. And Psalm 95 comes along and says that there is a promised rest that is out there that is yours. And then the writer of Hebrews today says, the future has arrived. The future, that future rest, has broken in. It's broken in and it is accessible, it's available. The writer of Hebrews, in a few words that we're going to look at, points to a provision. He explains the benefit of that provision and then he issues an exhortation. In three verses. He points to provision. That's what we're going to look at. Verse 9. Look at it with me. Verse 9. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's the provision. It remains. It preserved. It has not expired like some of those coupons that you've clipped. It has not gone away. It is there. And it has not faded into the pages of history. That's that's our default. We read a Psalm 95 and even a Hebrews 4 and have some sense that that was true for a group of people that has faded away into the pages of history. But God breaks in and says, Today, January 1, 2017, there remains a rest for the people of God. It's reserved for you. He's talking particularly to the people of God, those who have their identity in Christ, those, those who bear his names, those who are the objects of his affection. And if that's you, there is a rest for you. If that is not yet you, there is a rest that awaits you. It's preserved, it's reserved, and it is at hand. It's not somewhere over the rainbow or around the corner, it is in front of you. But just what is it? Just what is this provision, this Sabbath rest? Well, when you hear the word Sabbath, you, like I, may think of the particulars of the, how that notion was shaped and, and presented. And we think maybe most particularly of the words that came on top of that mountain called Sinai. In those ten commandments, you see, Sabbath is a day. It is—it's um, contained in what we call that fourth commandment. That's where it falls in the lineup. Uh, somewhere between loving God and loving neighbors is this fourth commandment that points really in both directions. I would argue, after studying this as much as I have this week, but uh, <clears throat> but it's not merely a day. It's a, it's a rhythm. That's what the provision is. It's a rhythm to life. Uh, we read about it in Exodus 20, and, and the focus there is, is particularly on creation. In Deuteronomy 5, when we read it again, as they're about to enter the land, it's, the focus there is on redemption, and creation and redemption become the centerpieces of this notion of rhythm and rest called the sabbath Um, but one of the things that we cannot miss that some of us find ways to miss that it is a command (laughs) it is a command Uh, it means stop what you're doing that's essentially what sabbath is pointing to it means stop what you're doing dan allender another book that i read in preparation for this there's a theme here (laughs) Um, said, God commands us to obey him because he is our creator. And he has authority to set the parameters of how we will live in his creation. If we violate, and this is where, where, what I want you to hear, if we violate his normative structure, there will be consequences that spiral through all dimensions of life. At the time of Christ, there were 1,521 things that you could not do on the Sabbath. <laughs> uh, we don't have time for that list. But you know what's remarkable? Most of the Jews that could point and, and turn to, in their own collection of writings, all 1,500, found ways around all 1,500. Uh, they did. But what's important to recognize about this day, this rhythm is that it's not... This was one of their fallacies of interpretation. It's not mere inactivity. But it's an active pursuit of something that's nourishing. It's actually better than inactivity. There's an active pursuit of something. It's not a mini-vacation. It's not time off. It's not passing pleasures. Allender, again. Many modern-day vacations have all the allure of cotton candy. They promise a feast of fullness, but once we tear into the sugary diversion, it disappears in a flash and offers no substance. That's why some of your vacations and mine don't deliver. They promise more, or we assume more, than they can. Sabbath is a day, it's a rhythm, but it's something else too. Think of Sabbath also as an orientation, or you might like the word attitude. Mark Buchanan is another writer on this subject, on the rest of God, writes this, Sabbath heart is restful even in the midst of unrest and upheaval. It's attended to the presence of God even in the welter of much coming and going. You will never enter a Sabbath day without a Sabbath heart. Both are needed and reinforce the other. It's a day on a calendar, but it's an attitude and a perspective or what he calls, and we will today, a Sabbath heart. And there's where the benefit arises. You see, this day that we can mark on a calendar becomes a benefit to us when we've, when we've done something in our lives in our hearts, with our souls, or better, something's been done to us, so that we enter that day, this day, with a Sabbath heart. Um, You see it in verse 10, the benefit. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See where he's going? There's a Sabbath rest that exists. And whoever enters that rest, just as God entered his, also rests from his or her works. God rested from his works. Now that should raise a question. Why did God rest from his works? We read it in Genesis 2. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, when you rest from your work, oftentimes it's because of fatigue. Well, that was not the case with the Lord. That's not, God did not rest because of fatigue not because he was tired or out of breath it was because he had completed his creative work god stepped back and as he did his rest took on a shape and form of delighting in and appreciating you see his rest was not due to fatigue and it's not characterized by inactivity we know god continues to work right he works. He didn't stop being God when he rested. And he continued to, to exercise his care, to order affairs and events. When God rests, he works. But he's resting in a new way. He's, he's resting in order to celebrate and delight in what he has made the refreshment we we read in Exodus 31, we hear this. It's a sign forever about the Sabbath. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. On the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. God rested and was refreshed. Okay, so now we're getting a bigger picture of what Sabbath is. There's some refreshment and rest that that come together. There's a fascinating... But it's not just rest and reflection and refreshment, there's an aspect of enjoyment and delight. That when God steps back, he steps back to delight in what is in front of him. There's a fascinating picture that doesn't use the word Sabbath, but, we, but it takes us back as the world began. It's in Proverbs 8, and you can look at this later. I'll, I'll read it uh, to us. Uh, this morning. And, and what we find in Proverbs 8 is this, is this reincarnate Christ, the Son of God and the Father, in mutual delight of one another. And listen to the Son of God personified speaking in Proverbs 8. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. You see, there was this party going on. Before the world, as we entered, before we entered the world, there's a party going on. Father, Son, and Spirit delighting in one another and in the world that was made, the inhabited world. God delights in his creation. He delights in you and then he rested in order to do so. Verse 10 goes on to say, okay, there's God and resting from his works and what that looks like, but then he goes on to say, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. What does that mean? What does it mean to enter God's rest and to rest from our own works? You know, one thing that's true about every one of us you know what a lot of that busyness that restlessness that marks your life and mine is about it's it's an attempt to establish your identity it's a stem it's an attempt to establish what what you might not call but the bible calls your righteousness you might not call it that in fact you probably we we don't call it that but it is this restless attempt to, to be somebody to, or accomplish something. We're, we're constantly after something that we hope and think will we'll establish who we are. It starts somewhere in early adolescence, and it doesn't stop. You don't have to be a teenager to know that you're, you're, you're trying to figure out who you are. You're trying to establish, am I... Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I athletic enough? Am I funny enough? We're we're always trying to establish our identity, and there's a work that's involved. It's strenuous, it's difficult, and it's elusive, and we work at it. Sometimes it's subtle, but it's always there. And God says to you, to me, Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. There's a <clears throat> scene from one of the, I think it's the first Rocky movie, the Rocky film, where Rocky Balboa is, is being asked, <clears throat> what is he, why are you going in there to fight against this guy that's going to clean your clock? I mean, you don't stand a chance. Why are you going in there to get, get thrashed and, and, and bloodied? And he said this it don't, I'll use his language, it really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens my head either, because all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed, and if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I've got to know, for the first time in my life see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. Tim Keller asked the question, "What do you have to do, or what are you doing to show that you're not a bum?" That's the work. <laughs> That's the work from which you rest. When you enter God's rest. When you recognize that all that your life strains for, God provides for you. All that you long to be, all that you want to be true about you, that lasts and endures and is good, God provides for you. It's the righteousness of Christ that is Given to you and received by faith. And when you receive that righteousness, not your own manufactured, created, tentative, superficial, short term, elusive righteousness, and take this on instead, you're clothed in a righteousness that endures, an identity that lasts. You're the son of the king, you're the daughter of the one who made the world. You can enter that rest and delight in Him. You see, we only get there, we only discover that delight, we only enter it when we stop pursuing other things. Allender said, Sabbath is not time to take off or a break in routine. It's not a mini vacation to give us respite so we are ready to go back to work. It is far more than diversion. It is meant to be an encounter with God's delight, the kind of delight that leads to life. And that's a delight that is yours. When you look in the eyes of the Father who made you by faith, when you, when you give yourself to him who has given himself to you, there's a way to delight in that reality that far supersedes anything else you will ever accomplish or become. He's done it for you. He's done for you everything that your New Year's resolutions might be pointing you toward. He's done better than that. So what keeps you from rest? This is how this comes to bear. He urges us to strive. Verse 11a, let us therefore strive to enter that rest there's an activity that we're called to. To strive is to be in earnest, to concentrate one's energies on the achievement of a goal. And the goal before us is to enter rest. It's not to be able to check off the things that you might have written down as New Year's resolutions or were afraid to. It's not that's, it's, There's an activity that God leads us to, but the, but the central activity that he calls us to in this passage is to rest. It's a day, as we said, it's a rhythm. It's not just a day, it's a day of delight that you can only enter with a Sabbath heart. So how do you you get there? How do you get to what Kevin DeYoung calls an island of get-to in a sea of (laughs) have-to? How do you get there? How do you get to an island of get-to in a sea of have to. How do you get to what an old Puritan, James Dennison, called the market day of the soul? How do you get to that? It's to recognize that, that when we come across a word, when we trip over a word called Sabbath, there's something more than what is prohibited and what, what is, where the boundaries are. And it's much bigger than even that elusive nap. It's something far greater. And frankly, friends, I'll have to admit I'm not there. I don't know what this kind of delight is like. And I'd venture to say that few of us do. But there are ways that we can develop a Sabbath heart. There are ways that we enter God's rest. And it's a little bit like tending a new plant. You know, that plant, that fragile plant that needs the right amount of soil, light, and moisture and nutrients. That you can't just plant and leave alone. You have to tend. There's some tending of your heart and mind that this calls us to. That the writer of Hebrews is alluding to when he says strive. And I found these words from my books this week helpful from Allender and Mark Buchanan. We do so by doing three things. The first is we refuse. We enter Sabbath rest, says Dan Allender, when we refuse to be bound by complexity or drowned by despair. Let me say that again. We enter Sabbath rest when we refuse to be bound by compl- complexity or drowned by despair. Some of your lives are marked by complexity. Some of your lives are marked by despair. And it may be the reverse by this time next week. But that combination of complexity and despair is something that we refuse to let Order the day in our hearts. There's a refusing. But the only reason that we can refuse is there's something greater and better. And that's the second activity. There's a refusing that that needs to mark my life and and ours. There's a gazing that needs to occur. We enter delight, says Allender, only as we gaze equally and simultaneously at creation and redemption the two features that Exodus and Deuteronomy give us and remind us about when we come to this fourth commandment. When we gaze equally and simultaneously at creation and redemption in spite of the darkness that surrounds us and constantly clamors to be truer than God. There's a creation and redemption that is ours in Christ that is truer than anything in this world. It's truer than the complexity that marks your life or the despair that wants to. And we gaze at that. We, we intentionally set our attention, fix our attention on that. And we listen, and that's the third activity. We refuse, we gaze, and we listen God is always speaking, but we're not always listening. We don't make the effort and so fail to go boldly into his throne room to receive what we need. And that's where that passage goes, If for those of you who are familiar with Hebrews. What we need and what we receive is a word that can pierce, cut, and heal. And what will we hear? If we refuse to let complexity and despair capture our hearts, if we gaze at creation and redemption that are truer and more lasting than either of those. And if we are listening, what will we hear? We will hear the Lord of the Sabbath say, the Sabbath was made for man. It is yours. This rest is yours. It's something that is given to you, and it's where your life takes the best shape possible. We'll hear the author of salvation say to you, "You have nothing to prove you're mine." And we will hear and be reminded again and again that rest is found in the presence of the one who delights in you. So what keeps you from rest? For some people, it's pride because work matters. I need to succeed. For some, it's distraction. Uh, Allender says we're like a child watching a circus. There's too much drama <laughs> to be able to focus. Or maybe there's fear. He suggests that many of us are more comfortable with work and we're afraid of joy and delight. Hmm. i got to think about that because I think that might be true of me. De Young says, busyness can cover up the rot in our souls. So what do we do? i got some suggestions for us, me including me. Set aside, if you would, a half a day before the end of this month to draw a picture of the year ahead and ask, what will you strive for? Will it include Sabbath rest? I'm not talking about being present on Sunday morning. Because for some of us, that feels like Sabbath check. Because you can be present on every Sunday morning and check 52 boxes and one at Christmas and and a couple of others along the way and still miss Sabbath rest. But to think about it, to think about what is it that I would do this year to cultivate a Sabbath heart that learns how to delight in the one who delights in me. I started, uh, I started a little list this week. The top of the page was my day of delight. And I wrote down some things that would be true about me for a day of delight. And I would urge you to do something like that. A day of delight that includes worship of the living God for sure. But I came up with about 14 other elements. It includes acoustic music, it includes food, it includes moderate exercise. That's, you know, that's the bike trail along the river, not the mountaintop. But what is it? What would be a day of delight for you? Think about that. I would urge you to join with others to nurture a Sabbath heart. In February, women will gather February 11th for a one-day retreat at Battle Mountain Farm, a day retreat exploring as they've written what it means to find rest in Christ as his beloved. And women, you should be there. A week from today, we're beginning a six-week exploration of this whole topic right here in this room during the Sunday school hour. For those of you who are not in another class or in the Exploring Cornerstone class, I would invite you to join some of us as we explore this whole notion of rest and Sabbath heart in the next six weeks. But ultimately, it's take a look and fix your eyes on the Lord of the Sabbath, who not only said the Sabbath was made for man, he also, the one who inaugurated the new age to come, to which the entire Sabbath institution has been pointing, says... Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Gentle am I, and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, you ne- may never take up a brush to an empty canvas. But there is a rest that exceeds the best diversion you will ever come up with. Because this Sabbath rest is not a diversion. It's full entry into the celebration and the delight that is yours in Christ. To delight in the one who delights in you. And to set apart time for that. And to guard that time. And to anticipate that time. Someone said the three days after the Sabbath are three days to remember what occurred, the delight that that was, the celebration that it was. You're just living off of the delight of being with the one who who loves you and delights in you. And the next three days are in anticipation and preparation for. Because to do this well, to rest well, you have to plan. You have to anticipate. Think about how much time goes into that vacation planning that doesn't deliver but what about planning for a rhythm to your life that does because you meet with the one who delights in you and when you meet with someone who delights in you do you know what that produces in you? Delight Have you ever been loved? The one who made this world delights in you. Would you delight in him? And watch your life change. Father, would you help us to see things that we don't see until you open our eyes, to help us rethink how we structure and anticipate a week, to make more of this day than we are inclined to, but to find a rhythm and a pattern to our lives this year that leads us into joyful delight. Help us, Lord, to celebrate with you your great celebration as we think and ponder the fact that you made us for yourself, you've redeemed us for yourself, and you delight in us, and the rest of God has broken into this world, and we take it by faith as your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.